Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded, a podcast all about creating visibility, paths for growth, and opportunity for entrepreneurs. We focus on those entrepreneurs who are statistically underrepresented in the startup ecosystem. Your hosts are Zena Island, president of X Plus PR, a media relations agency, angel investor Aurelia Flores, managing member of Athena Digital Media Group, a digital marketing agency, and angel investor Christina Francis, president of Esteem Logic, an information technology, consulting, and training firm. In each episode, you will meet a new startup founder, hear about their company and where they are now. We then focus on one key challenge facing that entrepreneur, a challenge that is common among startups. Each episode also features a guest expert to weigh in on the challenge. Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded. In this show, we talk with Linda Peralta, founder of The Pocket Palette, and Taryn Smith, a retail professional. We talk about the building of Pocket Palette as a beauty brand that is all about travel or being accessible for the on-the-go woman. Linda talks about the importance of the entrepreneur gut and listening to your own messages. Taryn reminds us that positioning for any product is important. We discuss sales coming from our distribution channels and testing, 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 testing online, testing with the actual consumer and staying focused on the problem you solve. We also talk briefly about how PR can help the sales and distribution team and how to find people who will help you get to where you need to go. Welcome to another episode of Get Found, Get Funded. We are excited to be here today with Linda Peralta of The Pocket Palette. She is an inventor, storyteller, and entrepreneur. Her years of experience managing people, operations, and expectations led her to create a beauty tool that is perfect for busy women on the go. In 2017, she created The Pocket Palette, a single-use, full-face travel makeup kit. Pocket Palette has been featured in Good Housekeeping Magazine, Shape Magazine, and on TV news shows in places like USA Weekly, Me Too, and BuzzFeed. We're going to talk a lot about your history with Pocket Palette and what you've been thinking about and the different partnerships you've been putting in place while you're here. Thanks for being on the show, Linda. Thank you so much for having me. And we're super excited to have Taryn Smith as our expert today. She has years of experience as a retail professional overseeing over $1 billion in revenue during her long career in corporate retail. She's worked at the headquarters of CVS, Sears, Kmart, 7-Eleven, and Steelcase, and managed, grew, and restored categories with thousands of products and hundreds of vendor partners in over 15,000 retail outlets. Taryn now works with 37 Oaks, focusing on growing minority and women-owned retailers and brands. And the goal of 37 Oaks is to build and support profitable growth through increased distribution. And we're going to hear more about Taryn's background as we go along, too. Thank you so much for being with us, Thank Taryn. you. Thank you for having me. So let's jump right in because Pocket Palette is, has been thinking about being a B2C or a B2B brand. And you've done a lot of things to grow the brand as you've got, got along. So tell us a little bit about kind of Pocket Palette's history and how you thought about it and then the different steps you've gone through. Because I've, I've seen you pitch multiple right. times and yeah. 
Yeah. So Pocket Palette actually started as an idea, just an early morning brainwave. Um, and, and so basically what it was is I was taking an early morning train ride from D to C to New York. Those like cheap seats are like at four o'clock in the morning. So of course I wasn't going to wake up at three to do my makeup. So instead I put some makeup into a sandwich bag and I squished my little, my makeup there and I carried my little sandwich bag with me on the train, did my makeup on the train when I woke up in New York and that was it. I came away thinking like, wow, I really wish I had a multi-compartment sandwich bag so I can always do this. And so basically that's what it is. Pocket Palette is an evolutionized version of that. And so Pocket Palette itself has uh, four makeup products. So it's a mascara, a lip and cheek color and BB cream package into this pouch that is about the size of a playing card. So that way you can do your makeup on the go or you can have a stash ready for those just in case moments. And that idea was a long time ago. That was in 2013. But really nothing really happened until I was in business school and I had the space to think about entrepreneurship ideas. And so after graduation, I, you know, I did a bunch of pitch competitions. I believe we met one of those Manny ones. And yeah, so I was pitching this idea of having like a consumer good. Um, of having this this makeup kit. And so that's how we built the Kickstarter. So we did a Kickstarter in October 2017. Um, it's actually, I guess, our, our anniversary of the Kickstarter in this month. Um, yeah, so uh, we raised $56,000 from 405 people in over 15 countries. And so the 15 countries part is really what like knocked me off my feet. I was like, whoa, this isn't just a me in D.C. problem. This is something that people relate to. And so that's where we started. So we wanted to be direct-to-consumer. We're going to do that whole thing and, like, build a brand and have your website and really be business owners. Um, and so we did. And um, so we started there. And then pretty quickly, we actually had the opportunity to enter the hospitality space. So there was um, there's a private suite, um, like an LAX. There's a, the private suite at LAX is a an airline lounge. And so they bought a bunch of pocket pallets to give away to their patrons. And that really made me think like, oh, this is actually like an amenity that can be given out too from people. So with that in mind, like it might start to dream. It's like, I'm going to be in airlines and train stations and everything. And so beyond, I was thinking beyond the direct consumer model then. Um, but for me, I always felt that I had to do like one thing first. Um, which I guess a lot of people say that you should focus on one area. But I think with Pocket Palette, because we really only have four SKUs, it's easy to, to expand this way. And so we did. So we started, we found a distribution partner. We were able to um, get into a hotel right away. So with the Courtyard by Marriott. And they were supposed to start with a test of three hotels. They ended up only starting with one. So I was like, oh, my chances have been like diminished, you know, by two thirds. And instead, they, with just that one hotel, they're like, okay, we're actually going to keep it and we're going to expand to 110 new hotels. And so right away, I was like, oh, wow, this hospitality thing is, is taking off. So, so yeah, that's where we're at right now. We're doing both because I figured um, still gotta get, we still have to build our brand, but also this distribution is going to, what's going to help us build a brand. So that's where we're at right now. We're doing both and we're very excited about it. Taryn, tell us a little bit about your experience in the consumer retail space and then and then give us some thoughts about about what you hear from Linda. But we'd like to hear about your your journey first a little bit. Sure. Um, well, first of all, congrats. Uh, I Thank love you. the story and I love what you're doing. Um, so I have a corporate retail background. Um, 
I spent over maybe 15 years or so work, working at the corporate offices of some of these big box retailers. And one of the cool thing about it is that you're able to have so much exposure with different brands of all different stages from the P&Gs and Unilevers to the you, right? So the different uh, scope of brands. So I was able to really understand throughout that time frame to like how to look at a brand and see if it would be successful in that particular retailer because every retailer is different. So there's certain things and there's certain art and science, I guess you could say, that you look at to see if a product is going to be successful. So, um, you know, I had been doing that for so long and then I moved to Chicago actually to work for Sears and that's when I started getting more into the local communities. And I was seeing that there's a lot of local brands that just don't have the retail acumen to really scale. It doesn't mean that their product isn't viable. It doesn't mean it's not scalable. They just don't have that retail acumen that say P&G does or some of the other um, businesses do. And I said, well, I do. I have that. So let me start 37 Oaks, which is a commerce com consulting company. And we work with uh, mostly minority women-owned businesses to help them get to that point where now they can scale or approach a CVS or 7-Eleven or Amazon or grow their online business, et cetera. So that's what we've been working on for the past uh, four years or so. So um, <clears throat> I'm excited to hear about your product because I love the fact that you're um, trying new things. Um, I know I often hear sometimes that you should focus on one area, and sometimes that is important with certain brands, especially if they don't have the capacity to do so. Um, but if you do, sometimes it's good to test, especially early on, is this channel better for me or is that one better for me? Before you put in too much investment and time and, and money, you're kind of getting a feel for how it's going. So I'm, I'm really happy to hear that things are going well for you. Thank you. That's good. Well, and Taryn, you also, I mean, you have a lot of experience in the different pieces mm -hmm. of how to think about retail distribution, and I would imagine even how to think about what's important to um, a hospitality, you know, buyer, you know, something mm -hmm. that, that, that Linda would be thinking about. I mean, you've worked in kind of optimizing product assortments, mm -hmm. which I know, Linda, you've had a lot of questions about, particularly from um, investors. Well, if you've only got four SKUs, is everybody going to get the lip color or the mm -hmm. face color or whatever that they want? And Taryn, you, you've talked about product assortments and pricing strategies and promotions and mm -hmm. all of these different things. Um, Linda, I'd love to hear from you a little bit about kind of questions you got from investors. And right. you were also in an incubator accelerator program yeah. of some sort. So talk a little bit about that because I know sometimes people get too much input from, right. <laughs> from different places. That is so true. And I think I think really this entrepreneurship thing has really been about testing my own instincts and trusting them. Testing and trusting. Because uh, so with Pocket Palette, we started with the Kickstarter where we're going to start with three SKUs of BB cream. So BB cream, for those who don't know, is essentially a tinted moisturizer. So it has a little bit of color, but it's not full coverage. Um, so yeah, so we were going to do three because honestly, that's what we could afford. We're like, this is, and this is, that was even pushing it by, by three. So we could really only afford one. So it was going to be three. But then of course, right like a month before we launched, Rihanna comes out with Fenty. And that's like, uh, feels it. like hundreds of shades. So I was like, I, there's no way. And so it was just about that timing. I was like, okay, we can squeeze in one more color. Um, but it was going to be like a little bit different than w the, uh, the rest of the skis. I was like, you know what, right now it's more important, even as a woman of color, like I understand that this is important for a, for a lot of people. So that was one of the things I was like, and so we were like, okay, only four skis, but 
also one of the trends was customization. So everybody wants to have really personalized skincare and really personalized color. And that was the hot, you know, topic of the day. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. Like, go ahead and buy your $80 bottle of foundation that matches you perfectly for your regular life. But Pocket Palette is not going to be your regular life. It's going to be, you're going to have 10 of them on you. One of them is going to be in your gym bag, one Mm -hmm. in your travel bag, one in your diaper bag. And that's, that's when you just need whatever you can get. Right. So that was one of the big things that, you know, people, angel investors or anybody, just anybody who had an opinion was like, well, you're going to need at least. I remember I met a photographer and she's like, you shouldn't have launched with it if you had at least 16 shades. And I was like, excuse me. (laughs) Uh, Well, one thing I could say, at least this is just from my perspective and experience, is that, of course, launching a product is a process, right? So um, you do have to kind of follow your gut and your instinct because this is your baby, right? Mm -hmm. You came out with it because you were fulfilling a need and you're seeing what's out there. So you do kind of have to balance that art and science, similar to what I was saying I had to do in, you know, corporate. But um, if you get into or looking to get into the retail industry, like a a CVS, for example, Mm -hmm. because right when I saw it, of course, my mind is going right back. I'm like, oh, travel and trial section, (laughs) you know, like a CVS or a Walgreens or something. It's like, it's perfect. And then I thought the same thing about the colors. And I was going to ask the question, like, how do you determine it? Um, So I don't know the the price point or anything around this, um, because if it's a more... um, I'll say, I don't want to say impulse price point, but if it's a lower price point, uh, especially for me as a woman of color, I might say, well, maybe I don't like the BB cream, but I love the mascara, so I'm going to get it anyway, right? Right. Um, So if you go into retail, um, it's all about how it's being positioned, and that would determine what category you Mm -hmm. go into. Um, Travel and trial, you could possibly, you know, get away with having not as many colors, but because they're all like bunched together and people can kind of pick what they want. But if you're trying to really match with most of their customers more in like a cosmetic section, right? that's where you'd have to get into more color options and more skews and everything. So a lot of it is just more about positioning it. Exactly. And positioning. So like I always like, again, with the, with the people who didn't really know Pocket Palette, they're like, okay, you're a beauty brand. You need to have X, Y, and Z. Like you said, you need to have much more right, skews. Right. I'm like, yes, it's a beauty brand, but it's much more of a convenience item because when you're, when you're buying a tiny size hairspray bottle that you have to take on the train for example maybe it's not your favorite brand mm-hmm. um but you know it's one of the things like it gets a job done and thankfully the feedback that we've gotten is that people actually really like the product that's inside mm-hmm. and so we've actually had people mm-hmm. tell us like can you please make a mascara of just like the full size i really love it or i really love this lip color um and so you know thankfully the, they actually like the product um but it's much more about positioning and where it is so it is so a single pocket palette could be about 350 to four dollars depending mm-hmm. on who's selling it um, and it's and people will order a four dollar product and still pay the three dollar shipping on our website, mm-hmm. um, and so that's how we know like it's it's such a small price point for let me just try it. And so thankfully right. with those people who just buy the one, they usually come back and buy ten. So it's very cool. Now, have you ever thought about just selling them as individual, like just the mascara and just the lip and just the BB cream? Instead of them, yeah. So that's so that's in product development pipeline. So um, getting like um, we've you know we actually went to our, our manufacturer and said like can we do this? Can we can it be like this? And so um, and they've actually had some ideas of like what could be a cool thing to sell too. So yeah, definitely that's that's in the line. But then so like in my brain I have them listed in two different ways. So like on one side it's the building out the pocket palette brand and that would be where all the product SKUs come in from. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side the hospitality one it's like super strict. Um, streamlined 
just the pocket palette and the way it stands right now because that's what they can give out to their customers. So um, maybe it changes. Maybe they flip-flop. Um, but and that's a part of the process, yeah. and you're learning right now. I, I only ask that question, of course, from a retail perspective because um, to get around that challenge of, well, if someone likes this lip color but they don't like the BB cream, well, if they could buy them individually, mm -hmm. and you have inner packs of different colors. So right. think about a basket at um, CVS or something, and in there you have all your lip products, but they're different colors within mm -hmm. that basket, and that's how you ship it. So not getting too detailed in logistics and everything, right. but the point is that could be a way for you to kind of um, navigate through the retail world and so that your product isn't saying, well, this isn't going to work for all our customers, so let's not go with right. it. Right. Totally. So. Yeah, and the good thing is that we have that flexibility to make new products. because so we awesome. did apply for a patent. Um, oh, and great. so we did, you know, we did all that groundwork, gosh, years ago now um and so that was one of the things that we wanted to take care of right away got it so tell us a little bit about the retail strategy that you have had up until now because you you've thought a lot about it right you have thought about like you know you're giving people the ability to buy a one-off and then they can buy packages and then we'll go more into your b2b strategy because we because right. i think it's really interesting that as a brand you do have these two strategies going on mm -hmm. they've both been working very well yeah. And you're just trying to figure out, okay, you know, where where do you put your focus or your energy for the next the next the step? next level? Yeah, right. So so retail has really been just our own our own e-commerce website we sell, and that's like where we can control. We can keep track of our customers. We did also enter Amazon, which is great for um, like those BuzzFeed listicles. You know, we get on those all the time, which is really awesome because it Amazon basically runs itself. We just ship product every now and then, and then we get featured on an article. And then we have to replenish. So um, we aren't really putting in much effort into Amazon because it's doing itself. So if we're doing, if our retail dollars, I guess, are being spent on our website um, to build that brand. Um, yeah. And, and in terms of like when we were first starting, we really just took orders from anybody. Like if there was a small shop in Philadelphia, for example, they're like, hey, we're a small boutique. I'd like to buy you know, 50 of them uh, for to sell in my store. I was like, yeah, sure, anybody, please buy things. Um, and we actually ended up selling a few boxes to a like a miniature-sized website. Well, the, the size, the website's regular size, but, <laughs> but they sell miniature-sized okay, um, items. And so now thinking back, like if I was had approached, if somebody like that approached me today, I probably wouldn't give them my e-commerce size, um, e-commerce sales. Um, so I'll try and keep that, but so retail now I'm focusing more on travel areas. So, um, the courtyard, for example, they are going to be selling them instead of giving them away because courtyard is known for like that, that wall of like convenience items. So anything where I'm thinking about the retail side of any place where you might need it. So those in the train stations and those like Hudson bookstores that are like everywhere mm -hmm. <laughs> you can't mm -hmm. escape them <laughs> yeah so like in the airports and, and travel retail is really going to be where it is even in one thing that i didn't consider on airlines is that they, some of them are still selling stuff on board mm -hmm. too so that would be an option as well go ahead so i know we were talking a little bit before about um how you want to build out like your sales team yes have you thought about how you would position like the sales members or what type of salesperson or like just some details around how they would get to those channels that you're looking to get into? Yeah. So I have, I've had, so again, coming back to my entrepreneurial instincts, um, 
our sales team, I thought it was going to be like, you know, 10 people and they all kind of go out and start knocking on doors. But um, our sales team ended up being actually our distributor partners. So, um, for example, we found one that specializes in hotels. So they are the ones who are out pushing. Um, and so we considered instead of like trying to manage that relationship as a distributor, we're now considering them a partner into getting those sales. And so there's, you know, of course, there's a lot of things that we could own every single distribution channel, but we're a small team. We're a team of two. Right. So we need sales partners. Right. Um, another thing where we're looking at is um, finding people with specific expertise in their areas and then just having them be the salesperson mm-hmm. and giving them a commission mm-hmm. off of the sales. So there's, for example, uh, a woman who comes with years of beauty industry experience and she has a uh, relationship with retail partners with like the duty free stores. Mm-hmm. So she's like, oh, this is an easy. So she's like, I know these people. This is an easy sell for me. Like, I don't even have to do any work because it's so easy. Like, right. She's just, it's so easy. Like, I can just tell them like, this is this is what it is. Mm-hmm. And so. So, yeah, we're considering her a salesperson. Too. Right. So you found salespeople in unlikely places. Yeah. So it. it I always wanted to own the business development side of it. So, like, as a CEO, as the inventor. Um, but I just realized that, like, first of all, I can't do everything. And that's a lesson that I learned right away. Um, but really finding those salespeople. Um, I, th- I I feel it sounds weird to call them salespeople, but I feel like they're more, like, partners. Um, and and they, they focus on their own area of expertise. So that's really good. And I was glad to hear that you talked about distributors because they're going to do a lot of the work for you. Like they're oh going to represent yes. exactly all these different accounts. So um, especially as a business that's starting up and you don't have like a big, big team because you still have to manage the distributors. So even when you're thinking about some of the other um, more independent reps, um, even though they're doing a lot of the work for you, you still got to manage them. So right. as as lean as you could keep that and as consolidated as you keep that, that's good for everybody. So. Right. No, and, and I mean, just like leaning on their expertise. So the, yeah. uh, one of our distributors, so they really focus on the travel size, travel market. Mm-hmm. And so they'll say like, have you ever thought about putting it like a face wipe on the back? I was like, well, I've always thought about a face wipe. But like, well, if you put, literally stick one on here, we could sell this for a little bit more for one of our airline partners. I was like, okay, yeah, let's go. Like, that's something that I can do. We're like, I would never have had that distribution link by myself. I could have built it, but very slowly. But it's just so easy when when you trust, when you find a partner that you trust. That's the beautiful thing when you do find a partner you trust. (laughs) That's good. And I have a question. So that's interesting. So I'm, I have a technology background. And so when people give new requirements, usually you have to go through a whole process of taking that requirement and seeing how you can actually fit it into your product. So when you're getting some of this great feedback on how some of your distributors and partners and salespeople can actually sell it, how are you deciphering what you should actually include? Right. Well, one, is it feasible? So uh, with something like the the face wipe on the back, like it's very easy to just stick an individually wrapped face wipe on the back with like a little sticky tack or whatever. Like that's something that exists, that t- technology. Um, but if somebody were to ask me, like, we, wanna, we want you to put the face back in in the same package as everything else, then that'd be something like, well, maybe that's a million dollar idea for when I have a million dollars to work <laughs> on this development. <laughs> but is, if you're only going to order a thousand of them, um, no, I'm not going to do all that work for you. Um, so it's really just, it's more about capability. It's, it's There's no like real better answer than that. It's just, can mm-hmm. I actually do it? And then talking back to my manufacturing partners to see like what would be the added cost and figure out pricing. Well, so let's dive into the pricing discussion, right? Because 
we talked about positioning is important, figuring out what kinds of changes do make sense and which don't with regard to kind of the four skews versus the, you know, 168, <laughs> like, you know, skin tone matching, you know, BB creams. Um, and then getting information and feedback from people who really know, like mm -hmm. your distribution partners, like the people who in their areas of expertise. So how did you come to your pricing model? And how did that, um, how does that work into your overall business model generally? Right. So pricing, I, de I decided the price uh, even before I actually had the product. Um, and so I just thought about what convenience items were. And I really used the Kickstarter as a, test, a pricing mm -hmm. test tool. Um, so I would have, you know, $4 or $3 and, and having them in different tiers and to see, like, how fast each one uh, sold out, basically. And so the $4 price point, which was always going to be my thought, like, of course, there can be a discount. So, like, for example, we sell a packet of 10 for three for $35, so it's, like, $350. Um, and then sometimes, you know, we'll have, like, a Christmas sale or something. But really, this is going to be the price point overall. And so what we've come to see, even even before that, we did some Facebook ads. Um, even before we even ready to sell, we said $4 and see, like, how many people clicked the button of, like, buy now. Or we, people would leave comments and we would read them. And so there would be some people who would say, like, this is kind of a lot for just a one-face, you know, one-face application. And then somebody else without our prompting would say like, well, sure, but also this is one of those, this is a lot cheaper than going out and buying a brand new makeup set if you forgot it or, and like you just have to realize it's a convenience product, you have to pay a little bit more for it. So that was like, that was my thank God <laughs> kind of moment As a digital that marketer, happened. can I just say that I love that you tested online. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is just, and it's such an easy way to test like right. prices and yeah. feedback and, and not actually have to sell something, right? Just see like who clicks, who exactly. like, does, takes action. Does this make sense? Yeah. And so like that. I started with a, with a gut feeling like, uh, if I saw this on the Steve, like at a CVS stand, I'd maybe pay $4 max for this. And then I kind of just got some feedback from other makeup users. Like, how much would you pay for this? They're like, oh, well, if it was really pretty packaging, maybe a little bit more. Or if I had like a fancy brand. And so coming back to positioning, it would be like, okay, selling this at a gas station would be a different price point than selling it like at it's a true. Nordstrom's. Mm -hmm. Right. So, mm -hmm. so I wanted to be ready. And so, I obviously had the the physical cost of manufacturing was always like in the back of my head, like I can't physically sell it. So one of the, for example, there's a hotel who wanted to put them in every room if we could sell it to them at a certain price point. I'm like, this isn't a, this isn't a tiny bar of soap. Like that's one item that you can probably buy for 10 cents. This is four products in one. So like 40 cents, right? <laughs> <laughs> Even though it's not 40 cents. Um, so yeah, it was, it, it managing that expectation. So, like, this is a unique product. You would be the first hotel to have this. So that's the value that you would be getting. And you're probably already doing this, but as you're thinking about your, your sales strategy and, like, the different salespeople, um, factoring in how that could impact your margins, especially mm -hmm. if you're really stuck on that price because it makes sense for your product and mm -hmm. how you're positioning it. As you start getting more salespeople and, you know, they'll get want higher commissions and all this other stuff that um, that may have to be factored into your price. Right. So margin might get crushed somewhere, you know, reduced somewhere. Right. Well, the good thing is that because because this was a Kickstarter run, um, we had to actually cut the minimum order quantity in half 
we just like we really had to negotiate and by negotiate i mean beg our manufacturing <laughs> partner and that's to lower approach. that's a tactic <laughs> <laughs> to lower their uh, minimum order quantity for us and so they're like we've been talking to you for so long you're like you're a sweet girl like we'll, oh, we'll figure it out so <laughs> so it was it was a little bit more expensive and okay. so now that I know you know what that round of pricing is we do have some margin wiggle room if we were to get for example like an order of like a hundred thousand for one good. distribution partner then that price goes down and we're able to fit in that sales price good 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 okay awesome. and what I love what you just said was that you were building a relationship with them for a while, so that made that negotiation so much easier. Talk about how right. that re relationships in general, because sometimes you can work on a relationship and actually not close a deal, and people get discouraged and they stop talking to a person. So talk about how that relationship played in. Right. To that well, I mean, I went to business school, I and I, I had the negotiation class, and even in undergrad, I was a communication undergrad, mm -hmm. so I took all the persuasion classes, and really, like, <laughs> nothing prepares you for actually getting down to it, and so building that relationship, so it actually took me over nine months just to find the right manufacturing partner, because there was, like, physical capabilities of building a brand new project, um, and so that actually ruled out a lot of people to begin with, but then finding one who would be willing to work with a small brand, who'd be willing to... Um, there, I mean, I remember their accounting guy was like, normally we would require like X percentage down mm -hmm. even before we talk to you, but we know we've been talking to you for a long time and we can find you basically if you don't pay. <laughs> so really it's being that relationship and, and being honest with them. And so saying like, this is where I'm at. Like if I would, I told them like, I'm, I'm planning on launching this with a Kickstarter. This is my strategy. And that way they, they see me as somebody who's serious and not mm -hmm. just, um, a girl peddling like a you know, a little package um, because that's how it started. And mm -hmm. so when I looked to like manufacturing conventions, I would be like holding around my, my handmade prototype and just showing it to like a manufacturer booth after booth. And I would get people like, okay, sweetie, like good luck on your school project. Like <laughs> come back when you're serious. Right. I'm like, mm -hmm. but I am serious. Like mm -hmm. take me seriously. So yeah, finding that relationship, it's just being honest and having that open communication. And you thought about kind of product um, quality, too. And like you said, you've gotten really good feedback on the product quality. How did that play into your pricing strategy? And then I'd love to hear your thoughts on the pricing strategy and positioning. Yeah. We so honestly, this is kind of probably not what I should say, but it was very easy to find a manufacturer for the makeup. And so, again, thinking like at the time I was a solo person running everything. And I was like, I... I don't need to be in the back mixing chemicals or like paying a chemist to develop, you know, fancy makeup just for my package because really the idea was that I was testing the packaging. Um, and so I just needed to find a manufacturer who has had years of experience in developing makeup already by themselves. So I found the manufacturer, they're US based, they, they ticked all the boxes, right? Like cruelty free, women owned, like all the things. Um, so I said, okay, I need like 40 gallons of mascara. <laughs> Can you please send me those? And so, so yeah, so I, I picked the products based on what, again, what I could afford. So they had like, you know, a couple of, a handful of options for mascara, a handful of options for these colors. And so I bought samples of each and I just had little like test uh, focus groups is the technical term. Mm -hmm. um, but really it was me inviting a bunch of my girlfriends from business school, like, hey, stop by this classroom after class and try on this makeup and tell me which one you like better. And so actually one of the things that I learned is to really, I mean, trust the customer because I liked 
one of the cus- one of the mascaras better than the other and mm-hmm. everybody else was like nah like that one's that one's too much so we actually ended up going with what they wanted and, and, and it worked people people love the mascara one question is around uh, like your marketing. So <laughs> what um, are some of the things that you're doing around like building the brand and letting customers know that it's out there and having them click on your ads and mm-hmm. things like that? Like what's around the, the marketing? Right. So we um, we're so my business partner, who's actually my cousin, too. So she is the digital marketer. Um, period <laughs> digital <laughs> marketer. But so she knows more of like the technical side, like the SEO terms, mm-hmm. the um, pay-per-click pricing strategies and like which, you know, putting bids on certain words. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. You do that. What I want people to find pocket palettes after they search for something like travel size makeup mm-hmm. or full face makeup kit in one palette. And she's like, okay. So I told her my goals. And mm-hmm. so she went and figured out how to do that technically. And it works. Like we get people from Australia saying like, oh, we, we Googled this and your product was the first one. I'm like, sweet. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's what, so we do... That technical side, so we have a cont- a blog um, that really just is loaded with search terms that gets people to our website. Like we try and get as many backlinks as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that we we were approached by another startup who does like PR, and they were saying like we're we're really focusing on like product pitches, and so we signed up with them. We took a chance with them, and they landed us actually in Shape Magazine wow. and a handful of other on air publications or. Um, on-air places, and what we found was that our distributors, so again, our salespeople, they would take those articles, send it to their partners, and see, like, see, this was just featured on TV. So it was it was a credibility thing. Mm-hmm. And so now we're like, okay, pay-per-click works for direct-to-consumer, but what we need is also these credibility pieces. So we started to focus more this summer on getting more traditional press mm-hmm. in that sense um, because it, it works double time mm-hmm. for us. And thank you for taking a chance on that small business. That That's that's great. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm a startup, they're a startup, we can help each other. And what I find is that when you're working with other startups is that they want, they're also trying to prove their model too. So they're going to work harder for you than like a traditional place. Right. And I have to say too, your Instagram has been amazing. I, I love, thank you. <laughs> like it's just really creative and bright. And so it's one of those in my feeds that I'm, I always see and I'm like, oh, Good job, Linda. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and so, like, I'm a super visual person. Like, I, you know, I picked the colors for the pocket palette. I designed the icons. And so my undergrad, I, like I said, was in communication. And then I have my MBA. But I always thought about, like, the message is the medium. Or the medium, both. Yeah, did I say that right? The message is the medium. Yeah. So yeah. if you're looking at pocket palette and you see the bright icons, they're very simple outlines. Mm-hmm. You're going to think automatically it's a simple product, right? And so that's what I hope that I'm communicating with it because – it would have been beautiful to have like gold leaf lettering and pinks and beautiful like calligraphy, gold. right? <laughs> but that's just it does not make sense for for the product. So I had to think like these are prime these are versions of primary colors, mm-hmm. something that people are recognized. And so I always thought about like primary colors are the things that people are familiar with, and this is an unfamiliar product. So trying to make it as familiar as you can. And that's another good thing because a lot of entrepreneurs, you, you, you picked your product because you want to solve a problem. And oftentimes people end up moving away from the problem they're solving to make it more visually appealing. So I love the fact that you stuck with, no, we're trying to solve this problem of simplicity, right. you know, getting, getting it quickly and having what you need in case you forgot your makeup. Thank you. Yeah. And, and, and I hope that that's what you see. I mean, and what, 
what I like now is a test, right? So people see it right away. Actually, there was a funny story. I was talking to some investors, or two guys who like, they're like, oh, my wife uses makeup. <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool. So this pitch didn't go great. But then they pulled over one of their female colleagues. And so she screamed when she saw it, like right away, just had never seen pockets. She's like, oh my God. And she like screamed. And she's like, I've, and she just started like, hyperventilating like I've always needed this and, blah, blah, blah. and so she like went off on this rampage and the and the male investors were looking at me like oh okay well let's see if that can happen again so they pulled over another woman same exact reaction and so like it's designed to to let you know exactly mm-hmm. what to do with it and and yeah they called me back afterwards they're awesome. like can we please talk <laughs> awesome great so what do you think about pricing strategy and kind of Linda's price point and how she's positioned herself so far? Like if you were going to say to her, okay, she does want to think about scaling, um, what would be the next thing she would do on the retail side of things? Uh, I would say that the most important thing is if you have your brand and you know how it's going to be positioned, then make sure that the retailer definitely fits that positioning. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's it's um, easy to go chase after the big red ball or the, you know, the, the big shiny ball and say, oh, well, I could have a potential opportunity with retailer A and B. And sometimes they will challenge you. Can you change your product to do this? Mm-hmm. Or can you reduce the price? Or can you increase it? Or whatever the case is. And it could get away from your core brand. Right. So I think it's always important to look at what's your retail strategy based on your brand. Mm-hmm. So have like a target list of retailers that fit your brand. And they'll maintain that integrity of the brand within the store. Um, if not, then I would probably just shy away from it right now. So to keep that price point in mind, keep that positioning of it, and make sure that that's you know, consistent with that is so reassuring to hear because actually one of our um, our distributor partners presented us with an opportunity to do um, basically one of their one of their partners wants pocket palette but they want us to build like a case for it and like something basically exclusive for them but I was like the point is to not have a case and to not have so anyway thankfully our vendor was like eh. We're presenting it to you because we think you should know about it, but you do you. So right. they're like, and definitely don't waste, your, don't spend your time on this. Like, do this in your spare time. I was like, cool, cool, cool. What spare time? <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? You never know when um, uh, product feedback from a buyer mm-hmm. will be helpful. Yeah. Um, and it could open other opportunities for other versions of your core product, right. but it's not changing your core product. Right. So you may want to have a sub brand or something for this yeah. or, but not necessarily your core. Like if this is your baby and it's growing and it's working and you're focused on that, then focus on it. But I wouldn't change it for a retailer, at least right now. Thank you. Yeah, this is what we call our hero product. Yep. And so Pocket Palette, we would love to have, like I mentioned, like different variations and different um, add-ons, but right now we got to stay focused on at least this part of it. Linda, you talked about good PR and kind of leveraging that, and I saw one of your um, PR pieces was in um, a publication that's focused on Latinos, and as you know, Latinos, we wear a lot of makeup, we buy a lot of makeup, we consume, I mean, like, we're over-indexed on all of those kinds of Mm -hmm. things. How did that play into the... um, the building and the distribution of pocket yeah. palette. So actually, this is something that I think about a lot, probably more than I really should be, because it, it feels, okay, so I'm a Latina. My cousin is Latina. We're 100% Latino-owned brand. And, but we sort of feel like frauds 
when we say that this is a Latina-owned brand, like this is a Latina business because it doesn't have things that you would consider. Like there's nothing in Spanish on Pocket Palette. On Pocket Palette. There's nothing that screams like this is made by Mexican-Americans, right? So like, I mean, there's a lot of um, Latina-owned business businesses that are geared specifically towards that market. And we're geared for the female traveler who values time and her convenience over, you know, carrying things around. And so it does feel kind of weird saying that like we're a Latino owned brand, but like it shouldn't, right? Like it it's true. Um so it's something like I always like to get in those um spaces. So for example, Mithu I love them. We actually based one our first Kickstarter video after a Mithu video. It was called um, "Things Latino Families Do When You Launch a Kickstarter," and they were all things that were true. <laughs> like, you know, we had my twelve tias put our put their hands over us in a prayer circle and pray for our business. <laughs> like, we had my dad saying, "Like, oh, so that's why I paid your tuition so you can learn how to beg for money." Like. <laughs> Those are all the things that were true and like were, it was very Latino of us, but they also held like a Chilaquiles fundraiser for us and they sold like coffee and tortillas for us for the for the Kickstarter. So like that's all part of the identity that I like I don't even think to share that because it's just so normal, I guess. Um, but yeah, but I do like to be in, featured specifically like as a Latino owned business because I still want to remind people that it one, it's a fact, <laughs> and also that we don't have to always be um, creating products that are specifically for other Latinos. So, yeah, I wanted to get a Mitu, and so we got into that. There's a really awesome platform called Shop Latinx, and so we were featured, like, this is not something that they, that you wouldn't see before. You know, we weren't selling, like, crafts of, like, there's no, like, Frida face on this, but, and we're not named, like, we don't name the lipstick Frida Kahlo, like, but we still are. And so I'm still kind of reclaiming that. Like, it's, it's still here. We're still, we can do anything. We can sell pillowcases if we wanted to. We can sell makeup kits. We can sell car cleaner. Like, it can be whatever. Um, yeah, so it's it's fun. Like, I, I really like looking, I look forward to those kind of pieces because I like to remind others and myself that I am a Latino-owned business and I am Latina. And it's it's something that I should maybe talk about more often. But I it's just it's not something that crosses my mind in the sense of like, maybe I should promote this, you know? Thank you for being so open about that. I think, I think it's, <laughs> I think a lot of, you know, underrepresented entrepreneurs are like, am I putting this out front too much or not enough or how, where do I find the balance? Yeah. Right? And, and there's like, there's actually a few um, Latina owned beauty companies that I love and I admire and their packaging is so beautiful and colorful and they're, they're like, they have things that are in Spanish and they have ads in Spanish and they're like, this is who we are. This is our culture and identity. I'm like, yeah. And I love it. And I want to buy your stuff. But also I don't feel that pocket, that, that that's pocket palettes thing. It's really, Oh, and by the way, we're owned by a Latino owned business. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that like I, I think about and I talk to my cousin and she's like, and she, my cousin's so chill. She's like, it is what it is. We're, we're Latina and there's nothing we can do about it. Just got to right. keep going. So I love your cousin. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever is authentic to you. And I think exactly. that's what we're, we're hearing and what's coming across is you're doing what you think is best for your consumer and for the uh, solution that you're trying to solve. And you're not forcing anything. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why we're seeing such success as Thank well. You. Yeah. Authenticity. Yeah, everybody says you got to be authentic. And uh, this is really who I am. It's always been like, yeah, oh, also I'm, I'm Mexican-American. So... Awesome. 
Let's talk a little bit about the B2B strategy, right? Because like you have been going in these two different directions and I'd love to hear your feedback, Taryn, on how the B2B strategy, because you've been really threading the needle of trying to get in front of these um, companies that could do great distribution for you and also saying, well, yes, I can give you a lower price or no, I can't, Mm -hmm. right? And here's what you can offer and to whom. Tell us a little bit about how that strategy has evolved. And I know some of the folks that are out there, and you've mentioned a couple of the the brands, and I'm not sure if you can mention others, but <laughs> I'll let you decide that because yeah. I don't know where you are in the negotiation for those different right. relationships. So, so right away with Pocket Palette being a convenience item, I always thought about it being in airlines, in hotels, and gyms. Because you go to these some of these gyms and they're super fancy and they have all the amenities inside of them for people to just take. So I was like, well, I've forgotten my makeup at home after the gym and I'm a hot mess and I need a shower and look presentable for work. And I would love to have had some mascara at least. <laughs> um, so those were that, that was my strategy. It was like, what do I think is right? And then just go for it. So we started talking. T- and so actually my distribution partner, I found them through an airline conference. And so I'm an expert Googler. Like I can figure out. So I use Instagram and geolocation tagging to figure out who are the people I need to talk to. So I actually found them through an airline convention. And when I talked to them, I was like, hey, I DM'd them. So like, can I talk to whoever is in charge here so I can send them some product? And so that's how it was. And Again, like that's my strategy, quote unquote, to like figure out who I think should work. And they actually came back and said like, yeah, we do airlines, but actually we could probably start with the hotels a lot faster. So I was like, cool, that's this new strategy now. Like that's what we're going to do. And so it's really been like that. So um, knowing a loose goal of like what I want and being flexible on how I get there. So even with our other partner, I mentioned um, another salesperson, I reached out to her because I thought that I was going to do Amazon UK. And so I said, she knows how to do all the regulations and whatever. And she's like, yeah, it's going to be really expensive for you. But I actually have these distribution partners with duty free. And I think we can start you there right away. And so I was like, yeah, cool. That's what I wanted anyway. Right. So like, it's being flexible. And, And I always wanted to be in those duty free stores. Like when I walk by the airport I'm like oh I like I literally hold a picture I put pocket pad on the shelf in those like duty-free stores I'm like this is what it's gonna look like and so that was always something that like I had envisioned for myself and being flexible about the timing and how it gets there so that's really what the strategy has been like have a kind of a loose goal and and figuring out and being flexible a strict goal but being flexible how to get there so that's really what it's been nice no, I love the fact that, um, well, I, I see often that when you have a lean team, that sometimes your opportunities or the partnerships that you already have like around you kind of dictate which mm-hmm. route you go. And it sounds like that's what you're doing and it, and it makes sense. So if you're able to test it out and see if it works and then get more resources to put towards it at a later date, that's fine. But as yeah. of now, it's like good for you. I mean, because if you, <laughs> if you started at it organically, it's going to take more time, mm-hmm. more money, more people, but you have the resources and the, the partnerships there. So leverage those relationships. Thank that's you. awesome. No, and that's one of the things like I, it's one of those, like, I know the steps that, I, that should be taken and I know what experts say you should be doing. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. But like realistically what we can afford in terms of dollars and time and space and like mental dollars 
like this is what it's going to be. So <laughs> and I I appreciate that lean startup model. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where it's like you don't have all of the money and all of the time and everything but you just use what you have and you just right. milk it and milk it and milk it until you learn something different and then go from there. So I applaud you for that. Thank you. Are there other things Taryn with regard to you know negotiating with vendors um, other than the you know kind of building the relationships that she should be thinking about or you know how she should think about impactful product promotions anything that you think about that would be transferable to the b2b space specifically I, I think um i mean a lot of what you're doing and from what i could tell it's you're headed in the right direction or you're mm -hmm. in the right direction i mean really leveraging those distribution partners because they're going to do a lot of that legwork for you and that is going to help you get more reach mm -hmm. without absorbing of much of that labor to do. Right. So as, as long as you have ones that you've vetted and you trust, of course, that's the most important part. But let them do the work for you yeah. um, and, and just make sure that you trust them and that they're doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah. And you'll learn from that. I mean, the good thing about the phase that you're in is that you're agile, right? You can learn, right? You could take the time to say, mm, that's not working, so let me back up or that is working so let me dive in right and that's what you'll end up doing as you're going through these partners so partnerships 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 yeah relationships I'm so glad you said that because actually th just this morning getting out of the shower is like uh, I so one of the things right is giving up control or really equity in your business and I you know my parents are immigrants they're like what's yours is yours you got to keep yours and keep 100% and, and but I'm like sure but 100% of $100 is $100 right. but 50% <laughs> of a million dollars <laughs> is Let's more than $100, <laughs> right? right? So, right. like, of course, being sensible and being smart about it, but, like, really just saying, like, if I want to grow, I got to go with people, and I got to go with people I can trust and people that I can compensate in mm -hmm. in ways either with cash or with equity mm -hmm. or finding the right advisors. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's one of the big lessons that I had to take away and say, like, yeah, I, I have to bring the right people around me, and, and the right people need to get paid. Yeah. So. I'm looking for advisors <laughs> who want to work. Okay. <laughs> well, before we let you go, let's let our listeners know how to find you. Taryn, let's start with you. Where's How's the best way for people to find you? Is it How can they reach out to you and learn more about what you're up to? And, of course, you can always find out more about our guests on our website. But, Taryn, if people want to contact you. Absolutely. They can go to 37oaks.com. That's our website. And we are on IG and Facebook at 37oaks. Awesome. Great. And, uh, tell us how to find Pocket Palette and you if somebody wants to be an advisor or somebody wants to jump in and do work. Or <laughs> yeah. Give so you other partners. same thing. Um, Thepocketpalette.com. Um, even if you misspell palette, we bought all the domains. <laughs> so it'll <laughs> redirect you to our, our website. <laughs> um, and then our Instagram and Facebook is both Pocket Palette, P-A-L-E-T-T-E. -T -T -E. uh, and then you can find me from there. My Instagram's Linda TC Peralta, but I'm always in the pocket palace so even if you dm us and you can you know i told you about how great dms work for us so <laughs> feel free to dm us on one of those <laughs> that's wonderful thank you both for being here today we really appreciate it and listen to get found get funded future podcasts check out our website getfoundgetfunded.com we have a newsletter and we are also on facebook and instagram as well as other social media platforms 